Hi, I'm Gary, and this is episode 160 of EV Musings, a podcast about renewables, electric vehicles, and things that are interesting to electric vehicle owners. On the show today, we'll be doing another roundtable episode. This season of the podcast is sponsored by ZapMap the free-to-download app that helps EV drivers search, plan, and pay for their charging. Before we start, I wanted to thank everyone for their support this season. We've had some great interviews with some fantastic guests and covered some wide-ranging topics in the world of renewables, electric vehicles, and things that are interesting to electric vehicle owners. A quick shout-out to the patrons who support the podcast through regular monthly donations. An end-of-season review episode is coming your way shortly. Thanks also to ZapMap for their continued sponsorship of the episode. As it's the end of the season, we're doing another round table. And this is round table number eight. Links to the previous few round tables are in the show notes. And if you've listened to those episodes, you know that we have a, a number of specially invited guests who come on and lead the discussion on various topics of interest in the EV or renewable space. So let me start by introducing the members of this season's EV Musings Roundtable. Firstly, we have Melanie Shufflebottom. Melanie is a former guest of the podcast and the co-founder and chief operating officer of ZapMap, who, as regular listeners to the show will know, are the marquee sponsors of the podcast. Welcome, Melanie. Hello. Good morning. Good morning. And next, there's John Curtis. John is a multi-hyphenate who, amongst other things, is a key member of the EV Café, which is a group focused on EV information dissemination. He's also a sustainable storyteller, one of the UK's leading low-carbon circular economy and sustainability experts, and winner of the Electric Vehicle Champion 2022 Award. Welcome, John. Hello. Morning, Gary. Uh, For regular listeners who heard me announce the guest list a week or two back and were expecting Kate Tyrrell, CEO of ChargeSafe, to be on the roundtable, unfortunately, she became unavailable at short notice. But I'm planning on getting her to come on the podcast next season to talk more about ChargeSafe and give us an update on what's happening there. And I know that there is lots happening. Anyway, back to today. The format's quite simple. Each guest has a topic they'd like to present to the group. They frame the topic, open the group to to discuss, and once we put the world to rights, we'll move on to the next guest. In previous roundtables, we've discussed home charging, Tesla opening their supercharger network to the rest of the world, throttling rapid chargers at peak times, second-hand EVs, and topics like that. And links to earlier shows are in the show notes. So on the agenda this week are the following items. An ombudsman for charge point operators. Is that a good idea or a bad idea? Charge point operators and price rises. How much is too much for a kilowatt hour of rapid charging? And destination charging. It's the best part of charging, so why aren't we looking more closely at it? So first, I'd like to hand over to Melody. Melody, what are you discussing today? Oh, thanks, Gary. My, my topic is all about the cost of charging on the public network and what may or, or should change in the future. For anyone with even half an interest in the world of EVs will have clocked that over the last few weeks, there have been many negative stories in the press around the increase in pricing on the public network, with headlines gleefully announcing EV charging more expensive than petrol. We all know that the price of electricity has increased over the last year, and this has been passed on into the cost of charging your EV. However, I think focusing solely on the price of the high-speed ultra-rapid chargers, it's really akin to quoting the price of petrol on the motorway service areas. Yes, you pay for convenience, the price is high, but you don't use it all the time. So, while the price of ultra-rapids is now hovering around 75 pence per kilowatt hour, or around 20 pence a mile, and it is at a similar level to petrol, the cost of destination or on-street charging is much lower, around 45 pence, and home charging even cheaper, maxing out at the price cap of 34 pence. So when you look at how EV drivers actually use the public network, most charging is done at home or work, and only around 20% on the public network, which is then split between the different types of chargers. So we've, we've been looking at various scenarios, and this averages out to around 12 pence a mile, way up on mo- last year, definitely, but overall still cheaper for the vast majority of EV drivers than fueling up a fossil vehicle. 
I think something else to consider on pricing is the growing issue around the disparity of cost of charging on the public network, not only because the underlying price is higher, no price gap and the need for the charge point operators to make a return on investment, but also because there's a difference in the level of VAT between domestic charging and public charging. And finally, more generally, it would be good to discuss the role of the charge point operators in the high prices. Are they making excess profits and whether there is a place for off-peak pricing on the public network as well as the home? John, any thoughts? Massive amounts of thoughts. Uh, and, and I suppose brilliant, brilliant subject matter and links nicely to the need or otherwise for an ombudsman in that I'd love to see a parity between how... The petrol uh, and diesel market relates to the oil price. And so when oil prices come down, petrol and diesel should come down. And I know that takes some time, but it does happen. And I'd like to see a comparable approach with electricity. So when wholesale prices for electricity come down, public charging prices come back down again. And to be fair, we're not seeing that at the moment in the same way that we don't see it sometimes from big oil in reducing their prices at the pump. And that's a frustration, I think, for a lot of people. We're paying through the nose, yet we know that the energy price hasn't gone as high as people feared. So why is that? And what's happening with the money that's over and above the amount that we should be paying? It feels like drivers, whether you drive petrol, diesel or electric, might be being taken for a ride. So, yeah, there needs to be some sort of regulation, I think, to ensure that the customer is paying a fair price for the energy that they take. Right. Let me ask you a question on that. Then, Do you think that charge point operators are making a profit with the prices they're charging at the moment? Some are without any doubt. Um, And it's difficult because each one is different. If you look at the model in Scotland, where there are 300 and some odd different charge point owners who are coming together to form a network, they can all do their own thing. They can set whatever price they like. And if it's a pound a kilowatt hour, if it's 30 pence a kilowatt hour, that is their choice. And if I was running a business that was a bit marginal and having space taken up by an electric vehicle charger, I might actually start to think, well, do I really want that thing here? It often breaks down. It's a pain in the backside. So yeah, I think sometimes prices are artificially high. I also think that the market is slow to respond when prices come down. So, and there's no reason, I mean, Ofgem maybe are the regulator of choice, do they get involved in electric vehicle charging? Not in the, in the slightest, occasionally at a strategic level, but in terms of managing the market, doesn't happen. Interesting. Melanie, do you want to say a few words about one aspect of this, which I think is key, and it's, it's, you touched on it earlier on. It's the fact that a lot of people who don't have their own home chargers and are reliant on public charging are effectively being penalised by some of the, the price discrepancies between home charging and public charging. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think that, that uh, around uh, wh- when we look at our, our survey of, of the EV drivers who are out, out on the road at the moment, around uh, 20% of them don't have off-street parking, so can't benefit from the cheaper prices at home, which are you know a cheaper and b have a have a lower VAT uh, attached to it. Whereas when you're out and about. Uh, you are charging on the public network, whether that's on one of a, a sort of more low-powered unit at a supermarket or a car park, or whether it's on one of the higher-powered units at, say, motorway services or an on-route charger. And so both those um, types of chargers uh, attract, public chargers attract a 20% VAT rate. So I guess that, that the issue is that those people who don't have off-street parking, 80% of their charging is at home. They have a 5%, it's cheaper A and B, it's 5% tax. Um, and whereas when you're out and about, you are being penalised for not having that that home charger. So I think, you know, I think there really is a, is a case for VAT to be equalised on home chargers and public chargers, i.e. all at, all at 5%. Melanie, I think it's actually even even worse than that, in that 20% of the people that you um, surveyed suggested that they didn't have home charging. By, by its very nature, if you don't have home charging, that is a major hurdle to the adoption of an electric vehicle. Lloyds Bank did some research a couple of weeks ago, which came out and said that anything up to 47, 48% 
of homes in the UK don't have off-street parking. In Scotland, in Edinburgh and Glasgow, that's as high as 66%. So I think that massively understates the case. And that's a real concern that we've got people who are being left behind unless we get much better at public charging from lampposts, from better hubs. The provision of charging has to improve massively to encourage those people who don't have off-street parking to make the leap to EV. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, yeah, that's a sort of related but different topic is where are those people who don't have off-street parking going to charge? And that that is going to be a combination, as you say, of community charging, so people sharing their char- home chargers, off-street, on-street parking in, in lampposts, local charging hubs, or at local uh, destinations such as supermarkets or, or gyms and that those, those types of places. So, yes, one issue is the pricing, and then the other issue is actually just the rollout of that public network to support those people who don't have off-street parking. I mean, I think at the moment, uh, if, if you imagine on the road to 2030, there's, there's 30 million cars out there. There's only 600,000 electric cars on the road at the moment. So then there's a, the next chunk of people probably most of them will have a similar profile to, to this chunk, i.e. 80% of them have off-street parking. But of course, we need to be preparing for the future. Something else to consider when we talk about pricing, uh, there are, and I think we've seen it particularly with um, the Tesla superchargers, they have variable pricing. So you've got like a peak rate and a, an off-peak rate. And I know I've spoken to a couple of people on the podcast this season who've been talking about spot pricing. So the price that you charge is determined by the wholesale electricity price at the time you, you plug in. Now, there's, there's all sorts of um, issues and questions and things that need to be sorted out when that happens. But do you think that would be something that would improve the situation or is it another opportunity for unscrupulous charge point operators to fleece the EV driver? Um, it, I think just in in some defence of the charge point operators, I think to that they they have to manage their business, and typically they are buying energy on on the forward market. So they're they're not buying energy here and now today, and then reflecting it. I think that Tesla do that, but I think that there's a lot of risk in that because if the price goes up, you know, then then they don't have they they're not hedged, and they they don't they 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 need to manage their risk. Um, so. You know, I, I think in terms of directly day to day changing the prices based on wholesale prices, I, I think all energy companies and charge point operators do always forward by their by their energy. I mean, in terms of in terms of flexible pricing or, or time of day pricing, I, you know, I, I like that. I like the idea of that, and I know that some of the operators, I think Chargey is already already doing that for their on street chargers. Why not have a have a cheaper price overnight, and especially if you can, com- obviously, you need to combine that with smart charging, so you don't have to go out on street to to, to start your charge at eleven o'clock, but you can you can uh, manage that on an app or or uh, manage that away from the charger. I think the other issue that uh, sort of raises its head when we talk about high prices is we've experienced over the last two, three, four weeks. There's been a, an increased amount of negative press about electric vehicles. And when they see this whole thing of, oh yes, it's almost as much to charge an electric car as it is to run a, a diesel vehicle, that that creates a lot of very, very negative headlines. Whereas what you've clearly said earlier on is that that's a very small proportion of the amount of charging that takes place. So I think, I'm not entirely sure where I'm going with this, but I think we need to be cognizant of the fact that a lot of the negative press that um, is coming out from the charging point of view is not necessarily justified in all cases. Yeah, I, I think so, and I, I you know, and that that's a really important communication message for you know all of us involved in the industry. We've we've as that we brought out a price index which tries to show different typical charging scenarios. So, for example, what would someone who was charging eighty percent at home, twenty percent on the rapid ultra rapid price? What, what would they what would they be paying and they come out at a sort of average um average pence per mile of of around 11 pence whereas someone who is charging hasn't got a home charger is doing 20 percent on the rapid chargers but yet 80 percent still on the lower 
priced um, public charging, they would then be spending around 15 pence per mile. And both of those are still, both of those scenarios are still cheaper than, than petrol or diesel. So I think it's, it's about explaining that very, very few people would, would spend all their time charging on, on the most expensive ultra-rapid ultra chargers. John, any comments? Yeah, uh, I, I just worry, you know. There's a, there's a lack of listening to the customer experience. And I think this is one of the things which ZapMap does work hard to represent. But we have a number of drivers. I, I belong to an awful lot of forums on Facebook and with LinkedIn and so on and speak to loads and loads of drivers, many of whom have had enough. And they are saying, I've had my electric vehicle for nine months. Public charging is a nightmare. It can be unreliable. It's expensive. It can be in places which are poorly lit, not secure. I don't know whether the charger is going to be free or not. And their experience is real. It is real for them. And we have a lot of people in the industry who like to sugarcoat and paint things with pink um, paint and say the world is a wonderful place. And the reality of living with an electric vehicle can be challenging. I've seen people saying, I'm giving my, my vehicle back after nine months. I've had enough. And I posted this recently on a WhatsApp group. And somebody who will remain nameless said, well, the driver's just doing it wrong. And I said, no. The driver is not doing it wrong. The driver is doing what the driver does. And it's the industry that needs to help that driver to better understand how to get the best from their electric vehicle and the charging infrastructure we have. And it worried me because there is somebody who I previously had respected just doesn't get that the voice of the customer will help us shape the industry that we care about so much. We're not where we need to be yet. There's a lot to do. Yeah, no, I I, t I totally agree. There's a, there's a lot to do, and I, and I totally agree that absolutely those drivers who are out and about that is their experience, and they are not having a good time. I mean, I think a lot of people are okay, but but absolutely there are people who are you know having are frustrated and having a having a bad experience. Yeah, I mean, I talk about this a lot because I think um, not to detract from anything you said, John, which I totally agree with. There is a certain element of education which is involved or required to people who are new to the electric vehicle world. Um, and I think that will change the experience that they get. But given the fact that they don't have that, that education, their experience is definitely negative and, and it will result in people um, selling their electric vehicles and going back to a fossil fuel. And once we've lost them, it's going to be darned hard to get them back. And, you know, Melanie and I have been at the electric vehicle industry for 10, 12 years, and still we come across hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of examples of people saying, I've just got an EV, I don't know what to do. We Somehow, we are failing as an industry to all hold hands and run in the same direction. And to be fair, I mean, there's plenty of business out there for all charge point operators, and we could be much better at investing in knowledge transfer, in helping customers to get a better experience, in dealership training to make sure that everybody from the sales point right through to servicing and charge point operation and all that stuff, we're all joined together in helping the customer be a success. Yeah. And we're not doing that. Yeah, no, you're right. And uh, just as sort of anecdotally, I was out of the weekend, I ran into somebody who said, that, you know about this SatMap app, don't you? And I went, well, yeah, I've used it before said, I'm not being able to use it correctly because it's not understanding what my car does. And basically, she got a Renault Zoe, one of the earlier uh, AC-only ones, and she was trying to find CCS and DC chargers on the way to see her, her daughter somewhere up north. And somebody hadn't explained to her the fact that, yeah, whilst there are these big, rapid CCS and Chadamo units that are uh, at regular intervals along the road, your car won't actually accept any input from that, you're going to have to find an AC charger, which might be seven kilowatts, might be 22 kilowatts, or it might be 43 kilowatts. And she hadn't been told that. So, you know, I was able to show the appropriate settings in ZapMap and look, that filters them out. Now you'll be able to do your planning appropriately. But that was, you know, it was a five minute conversation to get it to that stage, but nobody had actually had that conversation with her, which was very disappointing. Oh, well. Uh, right. Anything else we'd like to say on pricing? No, I don't think so. 
Fantastic. Moving on, John, what's your topic? So my topic's about the ombudsman and whether we need in the charging industry and electric vehicle industry an ombudsman to deal with cases where customers are unhappy. So notionally, there are a number of uh, regulators that could take complaints and deal with them for electric vehicle drivers. Uh, Obviously, Ofgem is the obvious one, the energy uh, regulator. There's the motor ombudsman for problems with vehicles. But fundamentally, there's nobody who will work on the side of the driver to help find resolution. And typically what happens with a complaint about a charge point operator is that customer will complain if the charge point operator features high up the list of the best 20 charge point operators in the land, as provided by ZapMap, then they probably get a good response. If you're at the foot of that table, anecdotal evidence suggests that you get ignored or get a less favourable response. And frankly, getting anybody to fight your corner is like pushing water up a hill. I worked with a charge point operator, a national company, for about 18 months. And I know that there were customers who were being billed for the entire energy that had ever been given from that charge point. And people were receiving bills of 3,000, 5,000, 40,000. Most of them were dealt with because this was a reputable provider who had some software issues. The majority were dealt with. But that leaves a taste, and nobody was there championing the customer, so they had to go to the press. And I worry that we don't self-regulate. We haven't all come together as, a, as an entity, as a charge point um, infrastructure system, to ensure the voice of the customer is heard, the voice of the, of the customer is valued, and that customers are getting the support and the service that they need. I hope that we are able to self-regulate and that by OZEV banging some heads together and working to bring people all pull in the same direction, we stand a chance of regulating our own industry. But I fear that we may need an external force to be able to champion the voice of the customer, the driver, the fleet driver, who's just getting ripped off. I mean, you make you make a very good case, John. It's it's hard to hard to argue with that. I guess there are some organisations like EVA England who are aiming to do part to fulfil part of that, but but I don't think they're they're aiming to do to sort of take people's complaints and and escalate them. So it feels feels to me that you know certainly there are um, EV drivers out there who need. You know, who, who want to get resolution for issues and, and it feels like being able to channel those through an Omdison is, is, is a really great idea. So is this what we would sort of nominally call a charging czar who's in charge of all this or is that something separate? I, th- I think the charging czar's um, role would be wider than that in terms of ensuring standards and ensuring that you know, repairs are undertaken within a certain time so SLAs are enforced and so on, the service level agreements I, and, I, and promote the raising of funding for growth of the industry and so on and so on. The Ombudsman specifically deals with complaints. So where somebody has sought resolution but basically gets ignored by the charge point operator or the company, um, that they have somewhere then they can go to say, this isn't good enough that X, Y, or Z company is just ignoring me and I have a problem that I'm seeking resolution to. So I think the two roles are very separate, although they are linked. And would you see... um this body as somebody that had, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, governed by certain regulations, would they have um, authority to uh, fine um, yes. transgressors? Yeah. It's absolutely critical that any ombudsman has teeth. So the Financial Services Ombudsman, the, M- the FCA, both uh, regulatory organisations who have real teeth, can fine big style and I know that massive uh, investment is made by financial services companies to ensure that they do not break the rules, they do not transgress because the fines are astronomical. And whilst that would be damaging for our industry to lose that money, 
we could and should work hard to ensure that we don't let people down. And we, we just have, there's no pain. There's no pain for CPOs other than in terms of reputation. And broadly, um, there are operations out there that frankly, I don't think should even be in business. And there's nobody sorting out the cowboys, making sure that we run them out of town and getting on with delivering great service as many of the organisations in the top 20 currently do. Can I play devil's advocate here? Because that's kind of a role I like to play from time to time. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> now, we, without naming any any names, but I think we know who the ones are that uh, that are the main culprits. Is there a, a, a case to say that if we put an ombudsman in place and large fines start to be levied towards these poorly performing charge point operators, that they may turn around and say, all right, well, if that's how you want to do it, I'm no longer going to play in this particular um, pool and I'm going to take out all the charges that I've put in and screw the rest of you. Is that good or is that bad? That's a great thing because there is no room in this industry for those that are unscrupulous. If you cannot play by the rules, beat it. We'll get investment then from organisations that are prepared to do a darn good job. A case in point is MFG. MFG have come into the marketplace and they are petrol and diesel retailers, but they are doing an absolutely stunning job of investing £400 million because they can see there's a commercial opportunity to do so. The quality of their operation has made them number one in the ZAPMAP table. They are outstanding. Get rid of those that are less good because they're just playing games. Get in organisations that truly want to make a difference And the only way to do that is to open up those commercial opportunities, build the business case and get that investment in so that we can get the infrastructure we all need. Good. What does Melanie think about that? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I think there are some movements um, within, well, not some movements, but, you know, Ozev has said that, you know, as part of their consumer um, focus, they will be bringing in a regulation around 99% reliability for charge points, which I think is is, is a really good thing. Um, and when, when we measure reliability, so when, when we take a snap a snapshot of how many charges at any point in time are are out of service, what we what we typically find um, is around seven percent are out of service. And then when we look at charge points which have been in the ground since uh, since before 2021, that number goes up, but the ones which have been put in the ground after 2021, it goes down to around 4%. So even in the newly, well, you know, A, obviously the, the newly installed charges are um, newer tech, um, probably are, uh, you know, there, there's more focus on maintenance and running them, um, but still there is a gap between the 4% and the, the 99%, which, which, Ozeb wants us to get to, and obviously EV drivers want us to get to. So, you know, I think there's quite a gap at the moment. So, so quite how we square that circle, there needs to be regulation, there needs to be uh, a management of that, and then I think this om- Omniston role can can then play a role in getting the EV drivers' opinion and coming back round to the government. Um, I'm not quite sure how that would all work out, but it feels like there needs to be the framework of regulation of what it is charge point operators must deliver. Um, first needs to be put in place, a way to measure that, but also some kind of channel. I think, you know, I, I genuinely think it's a good, good good idea. I am a little bit concerned about stranded assets, but I think that what will happen is some of the legacy charges will need to be taken out and replaced with with shiny new ones um, as we go forward anyway. Now, when we come to look at things like 99% reliability, that's uh, that's a whole can of worms. And like, let, let, me, give, let me give you an example. Supposing I go to a charger and I'm in a Nissan Leaf and the CCS uh, connector is working absolutely perfectly, but the CHAdeMO is broken. Now, the the charge point operator could come around and say, well, that's a usable charger, so that should count towards 100% reliability. But the Leaf driver is going to go, well, I can't use it, so it's not open for me. And I think there's going to be a lot of similar situations where determining what 99% available means is going to be a bit of a minefield. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's an easy task, but I guess, you know, step one is to have that as an ambition. 
And then step two is to work out how one can measure it and, and yeah, and all the definitions. But I think it's important to get to get those uh, regulations in place. John, from a timing point of view, uh, obviously we've got, you know, 600,000 electric vehicles on the road. We've got um, 30 plus thousand chargers in the ground. Is now the time to get an ombudsman in? and get that in place and operating successfully? Or do we still have a little bit of lead time before we hit a real critical mass where it becomes important to have this in place? It's really interesting um, because the Ombudsman gives that customer focus. It gives that voice to those who have invested and are using the new technology. And I think that's really key. I think a greater need which has, has emerged through this conversation is actually for someone within government to take the lead. So net zero feels like it is a less important priority right now than it should be. We have um, OZEV who are doing their very best to make the case internally within government to raise funding and to provide support for this emerging market. It is insufficient. I don't think it's high profile enough. And I think the the chargings are, the electric vehicles are, is a really, really great idea because I think that will give a focal point for investment, for inward investment into this country, create jobs, create certainty, give people an opportunity to realise the country's potential. I mean, we, we talk about, for instance, British Vault and the challenges that they're having in establishing the, uh, the, the GigaHub and battery production in this country. That should not be the case. With an electric vehicle charging czar or an electric vehicle czar, we would have a champion who would push with all their might to get the 30 million or 100 million or whatever the investment was that was required to, to give certainty that the UK will lead in the provision of batteries to our own vehicle industry and export. We don't have that person. We have lots of spineless politicians who are trying to play games. We don't have somebody who's saying, we need this inward investment. We need government support. We need to make sure that we have an industry that will lead us to net zero. And we know from the uh, the Climate Change Committee that the current activities that are underway are insufficient to deliver net zero. More needs to be done. Do we think that the Ombudsman would be responsible purely for the provision of high-powered public charging, or would this be an individual who, or a department that also looked at some of the destination-type charging that's in place? My view would be that it would be across all charging infrastructure. It should deal with all complaints against operators, whether they're home charging, whether they're destination charging, or whether they are rapid and, and public charging. It has to be the whole shooting match, because otherwise you get fragmented uh, inputs, you get different experiences across the infrastructure network, and that can't be right for the end user. Yeah. I don't think you've said anything I disagree with so far. Melanie? No, I mean, I think... I think uh... No, as I said, I, I I really support that, and I you know I think it needs to come hand in hand with the government regulations. And I love the idea of a EV in charging czar who's really driving home those messages. And I totally agree with you. It's it's an opportunity for UK PLC to to really take a lead in this this particular area. We've got lots of strengths. It's high tech. It's it's about getting uh, workers help. You know, pe- people who are actually installing charge point. There's jobs. There's opportunities. It's high tech. Um, yeah, so I think the government are missing a trick. Good. Any final words on your topic, John? Yeah, I start a week on Monday. Who's up for it? My <laughs> <laughs> support, John. I'd, I'd support that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Let's get a petition going. <laughs> <laughs> I'll get it started as soon as we finish recording. Right. Excellent discussion there. Um, My topic is an interesting one that I think highlights one of the key issues with the whole charging debate. We've had several guests on the show this season who are all working in the arena of getting charging for people who need it overnight. And we're not talking, you know, the big, powerful, rapid and ultra rapid chargers that Ken Power, ABB and Tritium are putting out. Great though they are. I'm talking the seven kilowatts, the 11 kilowatts, the 22 kilowatt units. 
we spoke with Tim Evans from 3TI, Mike Strahlman from Just Charge. Last season, we had Joel Teague from CoCharger and James McKenna from PodPoint on the show. And they're providing solutions to a problem that I think is being undersold to us as EV drivers, and that is destination charging. Now, of course, the media likes to focus on the shiny, high-powered machines that make lots and lots of noise, and detractors like to point out to the fact that even with the fastest charger, you're still going to be sitting on a unit for 10, 15, 20 minutes instead of the five minutes it takes to fill a diesel car. But very few people are pushing back with the following framing, which is the vast majority of motor vehicles spend 90% of their time sitting, doing nothing. I mean, my car spent almost two weeks in the drive before Christmas as I work from home. I've also spent a couple of days recently out at a third-party site. The car arrived early in the morning, left late at night, and did nothing in between. And this would have been a fantastic opportunity to have you know, a slow or so-called fast charge there that I could plug in, and I would end up leaving with a full battery. I mean, it doesn't have to be free. I'm more than willing to pay for it. But it's not there, at least not in the volumes we need. I, I was in a conversation with a property developer recently, and they just opened an out-of-town retail zone, you know, huge park in several large stores, you know, the kind of thing. And I said to them, well, what sort of EV charging offering have you provided? And they said, uh, two posts with two connectors on each one. I said, well, have you cabled up the rest of the car park for future expansion? And I didn't get a response. So I think we know what the answer is there. So I think the question I'm asking is, what what are people's thoughts about the focus on flashy, high-powered charging versus the less glamorous, but I would suggest more important, destination charging? And more importantly, with the limited funds that are available for installing chargers, where should we be focusing? Melanie? <laughs> well, that is, of course, the, the million-dollar question is how many charges should there be and, and where should they be? I mean, I, you know, I'm definitely with you in the absolutely it's not all about, about rapid charging. There are different types of charging for different use cases, rapid and ultra-rapid charging, perfect for your en-route journey. You need to get reliable as fast as you can, um, and they need to be rapid or, or you know, they really need to be ultra-rapid increasingly going forward and typically in hubs. So, you know, yes, on that side, then there's the whole destination, low-powered charging area. And, and of course, actually, if you look at the stats, the vast majority of chargers we have on the public network are already in that category. So there's over, you know, of the nearly 40,000 devices out there, over 20,000 of them are in this sort of mid mid category in, in, de- in car parks, in supermarkets, in gyms, um, and then another sort of 10,000 or so, or just under 10,000, which are on street. So yes, I think it's big. I think, I mean, when you actually look at utilization, the rapid and ultra rapid chargers are utilized more than the destination chargers. But when you ask EV drivers, where do they charge? The two biggest locations are number one is supermarkets and number two is motorway service areas. So you know, obviously the motorway services are the on route charging, but but for sort of destination charging, motor, um, supermarkets are actually the number one destination. So I think it is happening, um, it, it is, and it's an important area, but it's not growing and it's not as high profile as 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 you say this sort of on route charging or the on street charging. And I think that's key because I ran a guaranteed unscientific poll uh, recently on social media. And the question I asked was, in a given single journey, i.e. from the time you leave your current location to the time you stop at a destination uh, location, how many times do you have a journey that is outside the range of your car? And 90% of the people said, any given single journey will be within the range of my car. Now, a return journey may mean I need to charge somewhere at a rapid charger on the way back. But if we have destinate more destination chargers at the places that people stop, they can leave with a full charge, they can get to where they are, they can plug in and destination charge, and they don't need to use the rapid chargers on the way back, which means that those who do need to use the rapid chargers, you know, the James Coates of this world who do 50 odd thousand miles a year, uh, the Lakes Electric Van people of this world who do another 50 or 1,000 miles a year, they will then have more charges available 
rapid, ultra rapid to be able to um, do their on route charging rather than Joe Bloggs, who's got to sit on there for 10 or 15 minutes because he just doesn't have enough charge to get back home after being out for the day. I have to say, Gary, I think one of the first things I'll do as the electric vehicles are is to ensure that all destination chargers have TROs in place, traffic regulation orders, which will enable the police to fine and remove vehicles that are internal combustion engine vehicles that park in electric vehicle destination charging spots. We put in destination chargers. They're often blocked by people who just don't care that that's an EV charger. And local authorities have wide and varying approaches to enforcement. I think it's absolutely right that we put essentially the same rules in place as a double yellow line. If you are in an internal combustion engine vehicle and you park in an EV space, you are getting towed, my friend. You are getting a £100 fine. Goodbye. Stop doing it. That way, destination charges that we do have can be used and all of the benefits to rapid and so on that you speak of could be realised. But until such times local authorities and businesses take responsibility for enforcement, destination charges are at best uh, an often blocked resource that should be available for all. I'm going to make sure we put a nice round of applause in on the, uh, on the soundtrack when I get this edited to say I totally agree with what you said there. But I think one of the things that will minimise that is putting more charges in. For example, um, my parents live up in Yorkshire. Uh, they're not far from Sheffield. The Meadow Hall in Sheffield, lovely shopping centre there, 36 um, seven kilowatt chargers in two different rows. Uh, if somebody parks on one of those with uh, an internal combustion engine vehicle, it's annoying, but there's 35 others there that can uh, sort of take up the slack. They still need to be fined, etc. but it's not going to be as much of an issue if you're at the then if you're at the place that I mentioned a few moments ago where they've got the new retail park and they've got two units with two connectors on each. So I think that's something that needs to be thought about. I agree entirely, other than to say that people like simplicity. And I'm a lawyer by training, and I know that laws that are understood and enforced are the ones that work. Uh, so the driver needs to understand that if they park in an electric vehicle charging spot, they are liable for a £100 fine. And if they get a fine, they'll know that it bites and the legislation is in place for a reason. Sadly, it's not enforced. Internal combustion engine drivers can park where they like and do often. And that's not good enough. Drivers need certainty. And so do those that enforce. The police couldn't recognise an electric vehicle or an internal combustion engine vehicle if their lives depended on it very often. So they need training. They need upskilling. And as EVs are, it's all happening. Yes, I mean, it's an interesting thought. Would you, in, in a supermarket, would it be better to have 100 seven kilowatt chargers, you know, pretty much in every space and no enforcement or five uh, chargers with enforcement? I, I quite like the idea of in the future, just there being pretty much all chargers have, all, all parking spaces have a seven kilowatt charger. Um, and of course, by then, most cars will also be electric and you go and you you plug in yeah i think that's the vision mel and that's the long term uh i would humbly suggest that right now we are living in slightly transitional times where the ice is king and the ice should not be king you're right you're totally right i was just thinking you know i'm, I'm just yeah i'm thinking vision <laughs> yeah yeah that's you all over just to bring this to a, a close, one question for both of you. Um, cast your mind back to within the last 12 months, for example, how many locations have you driven an electric vehicle to where the place that you stopped at had some kind of 7, 11 or 22 kilowatt charging there? It's hmm. a good question. I, I have to say it's fairly infrequently. Yeah, I mean, I think I, mean, I live around Bristol, so I'm sort of driving around. I mean, there's definitely a reasonable number across sort of car parks, gyms, the supermarket, but you know, more needs to come. There's, I mean, there's no question. There's certainly not enough as we grow. Good. Excellent. So I think 
it's time for a cool EV or renewable thing to share with the listeners. Hopefully our panel have brought something interesting for you. Uh, John? Yeah, I've brought nothing interesting other than to say that uh, the Electric Vehicle Cafe is a, an organisation that I work with. We are a group of five people from different organisations who champion the electric vehicle charging infrastructure. We are free to come along and use, and we are all ambassadors for change. We just want electric vehicles to work. And in our own businesses, we do that. Um, and we've, we've got you know, the head of Novuna, Johnny Berry. Uh, he's, he's the head of decarbonisation for Novuna. We've got Sam Clark from GridServe, who is the chief vehicle officer. Sarah Sloman, who is the chief strategy officer for Paythrough, making customer journeys easier. And Paul Kirby, the van man, who knows more about electric vans than uh, I will ever know. And we don't have anything to sell. We just want things to work better. Uh, so EV Cafe is a unique place in this in this marketplace uh, where we champion the driver, we champion the CPOs that are responsible, and we just want this to be done as quickly and as efficiently as possible and work collaboratively with organisations as great as ZapMap and Greenfleet and uh, Direct Line and EAA and so on to help champion EVs. If you need anything, the EV Cafe is on all social media platforms. Come and find us. And you do a regular weekly news thing, sort of 10 o'clock Friday, am I right? So 10 o'clock on a Friday morning on uh, YouTube Live and on LinkedIn Live, I read the news for EVs and sustainability that's happened in the previous week. It takes about 20 minutes and you get all you need there. We do a monthly webinar this month on the 18th of January. So that's tomorrow. Good golly gosh, we're doing Innovate or Die. So we're talking to the founder of Volta Trucks, Carl Magnus Norden. We've got an organization you've never heard of, of called Turberg. Turberg, who handle 86% of everything that's imported into the UK. Incredible. And they use electric vehicles. Uh, we've got Geotab, the world's largest telemetry company, Phil Barnes, he's coming on, and Stephen Williams from Direct Line with a little announcement that is very, very exciting. Ooh, now, you see, officially you can tell us because by the time this goes out, that webinar will already have finished, so the people will be able to look at it on, uh, on replay. So it, it won't actually be a secret by the time this comes out. So Stephen Williams from Direct Line, he's the value lead for electric vehicles and banking. And Stephen and the EV Cafe have been working very hard to create a partnership so that the EV Cafe will be partnered with the Direct Line group and specifically Churchill. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. To promote... <laughs> Sorry, couldn't resist. To promote electric vehicles and to help people to get the very best out of their insurance and their insurance provider and make sure that they get uh, certified repairs done properly. So it's a great partnership. We're really, really thrilled to be working with such a household name and uh, to be their champions. Fantastic. Excellent. Looking forward to that. Melly. Yes. Um, I mean, I, I, think, I think this we, we've had a really inter interesting discussion, but we have talked about uh, sort of a lot of the maybe the the more challenging side of of public charging about how the prices have gone up and how we need an ombudsman and and um, you know that, that that's definitely some you know EV drivers have challenges when they're out and about. And I wanted to share something um, from our recent survey, which was looking more at the, at the positive side. Um, so, firstly, that when we ask our EV drivers. So a, a panel of over 4,000, there was an 89% average satisfaction score for their BEV, their battery electric vehicle, and that was compared with a 71% um, satisfaction for their, for their either current or previous ICE. And then secondly, of, of all those, all those uh, survey respondents, a quarter of them had both an ICE vehicle, a petrol or diesel car, and also a, a, a pure electric car. So we asked them of you know when you're out and about and you you have your choice between your ice vehicle or your bev, uh, which which one do you choose in various different activities? So going out and about, local daily activities, eighty five percent of all journeys taken in their electric car, um, single journeys of or commuting to local place of work, seventy percent, and even single journeys of more than a hundred miles, sixty seven percent of all journeys they chose to do in their electric car rather than their their um, petrol or diesel car. So just some sort of 
positive uh, stats from current EV drivers. Yes, there are challenges, but broadly, people do love their EVs and are using it when they can as much as possible. Oh, that's fantastic. Excellent. Um, my interesting thing is uh, Italian design house Pininfarina is usually associated with supercars such as the Ferraris. Now, however, the company's teamed up with an Austrian mobility firm, Bentelair, to produce an autonomous electric shuttle known as the Holon. The vehicle incorporates uh, mobile eye drive systems with multiple onboard cameras, LiDAR, radar modules to deliver level four autonomy. It can accommodate 15 passengers. And when the passengers board and disembark, um, it uses electric double wing doors that are activated by photoelectric sensors. It's got a, an automatically extending ramp to facilitated wheelchair users and uh, top speed of 37 miles an hour with a charge lasting 180 miles. Uh, it looks like a tricked out version of the, um, oh, was it Canoe? delivery uh, vehicle, but it's got flashier headlights, more space, a revamped interior, and pilot projects are taking place in Germany and the US. So I'll put a link to that in the show notes. You can have a look at that and go, oh, that looks quite interesting. Many thanks to uh, Melanie and John for your participation today. I think we've had some great discussions. Thank you very much. The EV Musings podcast is sponsored by ZapNap. ZapMap is the go-to app for EV drivers in the UK. Use it to search for available chargers, plan electric journeys, pay for charging on participating networks, and share updates with other EV drivers. ZapMap is free to download and use, with subscription plans for enhanced features, such as using ZapMap in-car, on CarPlay, or Android Auto. And that's the show for today. Hope you enjoyed listening to it. If you want to contact me, I can be emailed at evmusing.gmail.com. I'm also on Twitter at MusingTV. If you want to support the podcast and newsletter, please consider contributing to becoming an EV Musings patron. The link's in the show notes. Don't want to sign up for something on a monthly basis? If you enjoyed this episode, why not buy me a coffee? Go to coffee.com slash evmusings. That's ko-fi.com slash evmusings. And you can do just that. Takes Apple Pay too. I have a couple of ebooks out there if you want to read something on your Kindle. So... You've got Electric is available on Amazon Worldwide for the measly sum of 99p or equivalent, and it's a great little introduction to living with an electric car. So, you've got Renewable is also available on Amazon for the same 99 pence, and it covers installing solar panels, a storage battery, and a heat pump. Why not check them both out? Links for everything we've talked about in the podcast today are in the description. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe. It's available on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Please leave a review preferably five stars, as it helps raise visibility and extend our reach in search engines. If you've reached this part of the podcast and are still listening, thank you. Why not let me know you've got to this point by tweeting me at MusingZV with the words Excalibur. Hashtag, if you know, you know. Nothing else. Thanks, as always, to my co-founder, Simon. You know, I was speaking to him recently about perhaps using his electric unicycle for commuting rather than the full electric vehicle. He seemed quite upbeat about this until we started to talk about how some councils aren't that good at putting things like cycle lanes in on busy roads. He was concerned. Yeah, uh, I, I just worry, you know. There's a, there's a lack of listening to the customer experience. Thanks for listening. See you next season. Bye.